I love seeing this room full and especially being full twice in one day, which is super exciting. And we had a great time unpacking this message with the first service, but I know that you guys are going to draw even more out of me. Isn't that right? You see, the, the way that you draw it out of me is you engage. This is like not a monologue that I'm doing it. You do a dialogue with me. And so if you agree with anything I say, you can say amen. You can say get it, girl. You could say whatever you want. But the more that you guys engage, the more I have to give you. And I know that I have a lot to give you this morning because I really dove deep into this research for this one, and I'm excited to share it. But can we pray before we get started? Well, God, I just thank you so much for everything that you've done here today so far and for everything that you are about to do, God. We just come to you right now with open minds, open hearts, and we are listening to whatever it is that you have to say to us. So speak, Lord. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, I want you guys to think back to 12-year-old you. What did 12-year-old you want to be when they grew up? Maybe 6-year-old you as well. I know at 6, I probably wanted to be a firefighter. I just thought that was so cool to slide down the pole. That was the main thing I was excited about and, like, being a hero to the people. But then at 12, I really loved art class. When people ask me what my favorite uh, class was, I would say art. Does anybody else say that? Did some of y'all say recess? Wait, y'all don't call it that. Recess. Morning tea. (laughs) Your favorite class. Um... But I love math and science, and I also love playing soccer. I also wanted to be a professional soccer player growing up. I had photos of Mia Hamm in my room. She was on the U.S. women's team, and I was like, I'm going to be like Mia Hamm. Also wanted to be a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader and just be a professional cheerleader. Kind of that now, cheerleading you guys on, just in a very different environment. But anyways, most, peop- most guys in this room, if you're a Kiwi guy, you wanted to be an all-black, right? Like there was a part of you where you just wanted to wear that jersey that so few get to wear. You know, when you saw the older professional players, you were thinking, one day when I'm older, I'm going to be an all-black. Frosty still likes to think that if he had just tried a little bit harder, he could have been an all-black. He also tells me he could have been a professional skateboarder. So I didn't know younger Frosty. But now he's determined to raise any future sons of ours on the rugby field so that he could have the glory of having a son as an all black. But in Hebrew culture, there was a very different dream career. There was a very different dream goal, dream role that every Hebrew boy wanted to step into. In biblical times, it was the highest calling to become a rabbi. That was it. The, the all blacks, well, the rabbis were like the all blacks to young Hebrew boys. Everybody wanted to be a rabbi, and it was very hard to become one. Now, I, I've done some research, found some research from Shane Willard, who's this amazing Christian speaker who's also mentored by a rabbi himself so that he could learn more about the Hebraic culture and imagery found throughout Scripture. And it really just awakened himself to everything that took place in Jesus' ministry and what it means for us today. And so I've got a message for y'all this morning called the revolutionary rabbi if you're taking notes write that down but the first thing you need to know about becoming a rabbi is that it's very difficult here's the first step they had to memorize the book of leviticus by the age of six y'all don't realize how much that is that's 27 chapters 859 verses 24,451 words by the age of six now to give you an indication of how how much that is I usually speak on a Sunday morning just under 3,500 words. That's how many words you guys get to hear from me in about 25 minutes. Um, So basically, if you put seven of my messages together, that's about three hours of content. And they had to know that by the age of six. 
this is incredibly difficult. Not only that, but they read the Torah, which is, are the first five books of the Bible. They read that communally, often in a synagogue. And so they didn't always have a copy of the Torah at home, which means that the little boy's memorization was based on the father's memorization. So there was a lot of pressure on the dad to get it right because he was training up his little boy to become a rabbi. This was already crazy difficult. In fact, one rabbi wrote in the code of Jewish law, when a child begins to speak, the father should begin teaching him verses of the Torah. Instead of them saying to their six-year-old or their little boy, you know, when they begin to speak, they don't start speaking at six. Younger, you know, oftentimes we're like, what does a cow say? What does a sheep say? I told you all about that last week. Um, <laughs> but instead, these, these Hebrew dads were like, what does the Torah say? Like that is a lot of pressure. And then they go to three different schools, and the first was called Bet Safar. And that was for 6 to 12-year-olds where they already memorized Leviticus, but now they got to memorize the other first four books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's a lot of text to memorize. And this training would take place in the synagogue or in the rabbi's house. And then at 12 years old, you were given a Torah exam. And the Torah exam was not based on how well you knew the scriptures or, or your rote memorization and giving the correct answers. It was actually based on giving the correct questions and creating this dialogue between them and the teachers. In fact, we have this um, story that we read about when Jesus was 12 years old in the book of Luke, chapter 2, near the end of it. And this is another story in and of itself, but his parents lost him, right? That's a bad day when Mary and Joseph lose the son of God. And, and God knows he's lost. And it was a bad three days because they lost him for three days. And it says on the third day, they found Jesus in the temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. In fact, there's 41 different times in the Bible when a question is directed at Jesus, and 35 times he responds with a question. Because Jews thought that there was this, this exchange in the dialogue where actually God would reveal all truth. And so at 12 years old, if students could excel in this exam, they got to level up, and they graduated to the next level. And if they didn't, disqualified they're out. They've got to go learn the family trade, which was usually fishing or building carpentry, collecting taxes, something of the sort. So they move on to the next stage if they've made it, and that was Bet Talmud, which translates to school for disciples. And this lasted for 18 years, from 12 to 30. Now what's interesting is maybe you've asked yourself this question before, but when you read Luke chapter 2, we read about Jesus at 12. Turn the page, Luke chapter 3, all of a sudden he's 30 and getting baptized. Have you ever thought what happened between the ages of 12 to 30 with Jesus? Well, guess what? He was training to become a rabbi, Bet Talmud. This was a period of training that actually qualified him to be a rabbi. So when you read in Scripture people addressing Jesus and saying, Rabbi, it's not because it was just a good name. It's because he was legitimately qualified to be one. And so even in this stage, 12 to 30 years old, there were five different stages where, again, you could get disqualified or level up. Now, have you ever been in uni and maybe your class size started out really big and then every single year it just got a little bit smaller as it got harder and then the size that you graduate with is not the size that you started with? Bet Talmud was like that, but even harder, even more difficult. And then finally, when you graduate, you could either graduate with authority or without authority. 
This was a very exclusive difference. Now, here's the thing you need to know about this. Those without authority had to teach the scripture interpretation of the one who taught them. This was called a rabbi's yoke. Not like an egg yolk, but like Y-O-K-E. This was a rabbi's yoke. And it went beyond scripture interpretation. It was their lifestyle. It was their life philosophy that they would pass down to their disciples. And then on the other hand, if a rabbi had authority, then that means they could teach their own scripture interpretation. And this was game changing because Jesus was a rabbi with authority. And maybe you've read that in scripture but not realize the significance of that word. In scripture, it often say the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is not just saying Jesus was a bold, confident teacher. No, this was a recognition of the anointing on that person's life to say, wow, he teaches with authority, not like these other teachers. And so people could see that there was something different about him from day one. And then every rabbi would also choose disciples. But usually how it would happen is these young boys that want to become rabbis, they would go up to a rabbi and they say, hey, can I be your disciple? And then the rabbi would determine whether or not they were good enough for the call. But Jesus flipped this. He didn't wait on people to come to him. He went out to people and said, you follow me. In fact, he went out to the people people didn't expect him to go to. He went out to the rejects, the people that weren't good enough, the people that had been disqualified. How do we know they're disqualified? Because they were out doing a family trade. They were out fishing or collecting taxes. The, every Hebrew, Hebrew boy, remember, they wanted to be a rabbi. And if they dis, get disqualified, they'd go on to the family trade. And that's who he went to. And so all of a sudden, there's this rabbi standing on the shore looking out to these young men that thought they were disqualified. And he says, you follow me. And a rabbi is calling them back in. This was massive. In Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 22, here's one of these moments. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, which is a real fun name, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. These young men dropped their nets, essentially dropping their career path immediately, and followed him. This rabbi named Jesus. We often breeze over this, and we're like, yeah, they became a disciple. Do you realize what just happened in this moment? They were working alongside their brother and alongside their father, and then a man walked in and said, hey, come follow me. And they said, yep, gave dad a hug. Sorry, dad, I'm going with him. Like, that is pretty huge. But also get this, why did they do this? And why did Zebedee, the dad, not try and stop them? Zebedee didn't try and stop them. He didn't stand in the boat and say, boys, don't you dare throw away your future. I've worked so hard for this family business. What will I tell your mother? Don't you walk away from me. Like, he didn't stop them. Why? Because it was the highest calling to be 
a rabbi. It was the highest calling to be chosen by him. And so these boys, it was as if they had just got shoulder tapped and accepted into the top Ivy League university after being a dropout from high school. That's how big this was. And so instead, he's a proud dad on the boat, be like, that's my voice chosen by the rabbi like he was so excited so he didn't stop them from going this was revolutionary these young men would have never been chosen by other teachers of the law they wouldn't have been chosen according to the world's standards but Jesus went out found them and chose them and all throughout scripture We read of story after story after story of God choosing to use people that other people would say, no, 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 that person's too messy. That person has a messy past. God actually used people with messy past. God used murderers. God used people who committed adultery. God used people with speech impediments. God used people who were too young, people who were too old, people who said, the world said to them, you're not good enough. Jesus went out and said, I choose you. Follow me. This was revolutionary. And now this brings us to the scripture that sounds so familiar. The scripture that I wanted us to focus on today. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Remember what a yoke is? Not that thing around an oxen as they pull the tractor. No, they didn't have tractors. Whatever they had. (laughs) I mean, that's a yoke too. But this yoke is a scripture interpretation of the rabbi. This yoke is a lifestyle. This yoke was passed down to disciples. That's what he's talking about. And all of these other teachers of the law, All the other rabbis, the Pharisees, they were sitting under the yoke passed down by Moses through the Torah. And Jesus said about them in Matthew 23, verse 2 to 4, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. What he's saying is the yoke that everybody else is teaching comes with some unbearable religious demands that not even the teachers can adhere to. That's the yoke that they're passing down. That's the yoke that has been orally passed down from generation to generation from all the people that sit in Moses' seat. And they hold people to standards that leave them feeling like they're in bondage, facing oppression, feeling disqualified, overwhelmed with guilt, and believing that they are a failure in the eyes of God. But when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, what he was saying is he's saying, I've got a new authority. And I've got this new covenant to establish with you. I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm actually here to fulfill the law. And I'm here to do what you can never do in your own strength. I'm here to call you back into relationship with God. I'm here to call you back into righteousness. That's my yoke. It's a yoke of grace. It's a yoke of redemption. It is a yoke of rest, a yoke of freedom, a yoke of eternal fulfillment. That's my yoke. So come, follow me, and I will give you rest. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, and I will remind you why you were created. Come, follow me, 
and I will forgive you of your sins and restore you to a place of righteousness. I will give your souls rest and deep satisfaction. That's my yoke. It's light and it's easy to bear. But get this, he's not saying there's no yoke. He's not saying just throw off everything and just live your life the way you want to live it. He's saying, no, 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 step into my yoke. Step into my way of living. Step into my way of interpreting scripture. That's the yoke that I am giving you. Can you just lay down the yoke of religion, lay down the yoke of worldly philosophy, lay down the yoke of politics, and step into my yoke? You know, the Jewish oral tradition also says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. What does it mean? It means may you get so close to your rabbi that the dust from his sandals flicks up on you as you walk with him. In fact, any Hebrew boy that was chosen by a rabbi and following him was so proud to be covered in dust after a long journey because that meant that they were really close to the rabbi. Remember last week we talked about the shepherd and how Jesus is the good shepherd. And we want to be so close to the good shepherd because that's the place of protection. That's the place of comfort and guidance. We need to be so close to the rabbi that we become covered in his dust as we follow him and become more like him. So what does this yoke mean for us? If we're to get close to our rabbi, what does it require of us? Well, I've got two things, and I want you to take note. First of all, it's his interpretation of the law. His interpretation of the law, because he has all authority as God. And we need to rely on his interpretation, not our own. Instead of trying to be good enough in our own strength, we actually need to understand his view of sin his view of grace, and his view of redemption. Now, in various sermons that you'll read throughout the Bible where Jesus was speaking, like the Sermon on the Mount, you'll often see these words paired together. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said by other teachers of the law, by other rabbis, but I say to you, as one who has authority in these moments, he is revealing God's heart on really important matters that have been passed down from oral traditions from generation to generation. He's actually saying, they said this, but I, God, I say this. This was revolutionary. He was not abolishing the law. He was fulfilling it and giving us God's heart of it. Now, maybe you've also seen in Bibles there are certain portions of text that are in red ink instead of black ink. That's when Jesus is speaking. Those red letters show us when Jesus, our rabbi, is speaking, and that's when we should lean in. Because in everything that we do in this life, with every single possible thing, we need to look for his interpretation of the law, not our own. See, his yoke is actually so much more gracious than ours. And we need to always be going to him and asking for what he thinks about certain issues. A lot of people want to say, oh, I love the New Testament, but I want to throw out the Old Testament. Jesus didn't do that, so you shouldn't. Jesus actually said, no, 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 come to me. I will show you how that applies today. We actually need to be going to Jesus for his interpretation of the Old Testament, of the law, of Scripture, his interpretation of the world, of the government, of political policies. We need to be constantly going before our rabbi and saying, rabbi, we've heard that it was said, but what do you say? With everything in this life, we need his interpretation, not our own. Because unless you've been given authority, which you haven't, none of us have, then we actually need to teach the yoke of our rabbi. That means teaching what he said, his interpretation of scripture, not our own. We do not have permission to change scripture or to rewrite it to suit our own personal preferences or lifestyle choices. We do not have that authority. 
God does. And so as disciples of Jesus, it is our responsibility to teach the yoke of the one who taught us, not adding our own preferences to it. In fact, like I said, your yoke would never be as gracious. Your yoke would never be as compassionate as Jesus's is. Your yoke would never bring full redemption. Your yoke would never bring full restoration to the Father and to eternal life, but his will, his will. So what yoke are you currently living under? And what yoke are you teaching? And the best way to understand what yoke you're under, what yoke you're teaching, is actually to look at your own lifestyle. That's what yoke you're under. What, what is your life cover? What dust is on you? Because that's the yoke that you're under. The second thing that we should live out, that his yoke asks of us, is our imitation of his life. Our imitation of his life. You know, the disciples of a rabbi, they would go everywhere with them. They would go on these really long journeys, walking miles and days, and they would learn on the job what it was like to be a rabbi. They would sit around meals at tables, and they would be on the job training. They would understand the way that people approach rabbis and ask them for help. They would understand the ways that they should respond with everything that they were doing. The disciples of a rabbi were trying to become like the rabbi. The yoke of Jesus asks us to rely on his interpretation of the law and then to simply imitate his life. And he showed us how to live and how to love people in those few years of ministry that he had here on earth. And even Apostle Paul, who's a great leader in the church, who wrote so much of the Bible, he wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate him. See, Paul recognized that he was called to live a life of doing his best to imitate his rabbi, Jesus. And he didn't want the followers of Paul, the disciples of Paul, to get confused about who had authority. He knew he was not the one with authority. He didn't pray in the name of Paul. He prayed in the name of Jesus. And he wanted to make sure that the people that were all of a sudden following Paul, he's saying, imitate me as I imitate him. See, I am not the final stopping point. Jesus is. And so that's what I say to you today, even with Frosty and I, as we teach scripture, imitate us as we imitate him. We are not the ones with authority, but we teach the yoke of our rabbi. Um, Isaac, you can join me now. But in Matthew 11, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus was in every way a revolutionary rabbi who changed the game. He was God in the flesh who came to this world to establish a new authority and a new covenant with everyone who had previously been disqualified, which was everyone. Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned in some way. Even the little Hebrew boys that could perfectly quote Leviticus, even them, even they had been disqualified. You know, instead of this exclusive society of measuring up to be good enough, Jesus actually came and he put out this open invitation and he said, come, all of you, I will give you rest. Come, follow me, let me teach you, let me restore you. Let me introduce you to the Father. Christianity, you need to know this, it is not an exclusive religion for perfect people that have perfect memorization of scripture and can perfectly respond to the questions from their non-Christian friends and family members about said scripture. 
we're not an exclusive society. In fact, Christianity is this open invitation to everyone who has been disqualified, to everyone who feels as if they don't measure up, everyone who feels as if they're not smart enough, everyone who feels as if they are second rate, everyone who was never selected for a team, everyone who the world said, you are not good enough. God said, I choose you. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. He picked every, other, every single person that the world said, now you're out. Because here's the thing, we can't measure up. But what we can do is we can lay down whatever yoke it is that we are currently under and we can pick up the yoke of Jesus. An invitation for all of us. Because you need to realize this, worldly philosophies, they won't save you. The universe will not save you. A collection of crystal rocks will not save you. Your family will not save you. Your spouse will not save you. Your children will not save you. Your fancy education will not save you. A family inheritance will not save you. Religion itself will not save you. But a relationship with the rabbi, oh, that could change everything. A relationship with the rabbi, becoming like him, becoming covered in his dust, that changes everything. And taking up his yoke means discovering everything there is to know about him about you and about this world that we find ourselves in. That's his yoke. That's his yoke. And he says to you today, come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.